0: Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. My guest today is Rob Toomey. As president of TypeCoach, Rob lives at the intersection of his two passions, personality type and entrepreneurship. Working with 600 global client organizations, he has delivered live sessions to 30,000 participants, and the TypeCoach online tools have reached more than 110,000 people. Rob and I talk about all things personality type, also known as Myers-Briggs, and we get into how you use this framework to better understand yourself and your colleagues so that you can work more effectively together. If you are not a member of the Modern Manager community on Patreon, now is a great time to join because Rob has generously offered free access to the TypeCoach tools to all members at the $5 and above level. So if you are intrigued by what you hear in this episode... Head on over to patreon.com/modernmanager. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com/modernmanager. Of course, that link is in the show notes as well. Now, here is my interview with Rob.
1: You're listening to the Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show.
0: Thank you, Rob, for joining me today. I am a huge fan of you and your wife and your work. As you know, we talk about type all the time, and I love your tools. I use them with my clients. I'm using them with my family. I just love everything that you do.
1: Well, thank you for saying that, Mamie, and I'm thrilled to be here.
0: So today we're talking about understanding people and personalities and type, and I have been like deep in this stuff for a while, not nearly as deep as you are, but I don't know if my listeners are familiar with this or kind of what they know, so why don't you start by just grounding us in what is Myers-Briggs, what is personality, what is type, what are all those fundamentals kind of stuff?
1: Sure. So, yeah, and personality types have been around in lots of different sort of flavors and styles for many years. The particular model that we use in our work was originally developed by Carl Jung, a Swiss psychologist back in the early 1900s, and then further developed by Isabel Myers, who then, of course, became famous for her work with the Myers Briggs type indicator. What we've done with our team is basically sort of transition that for a 2018 and onward usage. So, we've really tried to make it digital, much more sort of focused on application. And in particular, our focus is around communication. So what we notice is that there are different people out there. And if you could become a little bit aware of the nature of that difference in terms of the personalities uh, that are at work, you can adjust your communication style and get much better results.
0: So give me some examples of what those different personality types are. There's different aspects or dimensions to personality.
1: Sure. So, I mean, a really basic one that I think has really recently slipped into the mainstream awareness is that extrovert introvert piece, which is, you know, the classic clarification is not about sort of your social skills or social graces. It's just where you get your energy. But, you know, from a communication perspective, some of the things that we see very clearly are that introverts do their best thinking when they have some time to absorb and process the information that's coming at them. So, you know, if you turn to Mark in the meeting and you say, hey, Mark, where do you see the business in the next two years? And Mark's an introvert. You started the clock on somewhere between two and 48 hours for his best thinking to emerge. So those are the kinds of differences. We've started to see some biological basis. So there's now brain scans that show the neurochemical differences between extroverts and introverts. The other aspects of personality are a little bit more nuanced. So we've got you know, the big picture detail people. We've got people who make decisions based on logic versus you know, personal values and those who uh, tend to structure their lives or those who don't tend to structure their lives. So those are the four broad categories we're talking about.
0: So I know that there's no one better dimension or type, right? We kind of all have all of these in us. It's just our preference. But when you think about a team's composition, does it matter if people are more alike or more different?
1: Yeah, well, so there's a lot to that question. And in fact, a lot of emerging Work that we're doing with our clients around the importance of diversity and specifically cognitive diversity, which is this really cool idea that you can have people who match the other forms, sort of more naturally understood components of diversity, but may share the same personality type. And ultimately, that is not good for the team. You need people who are looking at the same situation from a very different perspective, who may make a different conclusion based on the same facts and offer a completely different set of insights that will you know, catapult the team to where it needs to go.
0: So I imagine sitting in a meeting and, you know, I deal with this because my colleague like Ty is an introvert and I'm an extrovert and we're sitting in a meeting and I want to know what she thinks. And based on what you were saying before about giving people time to think and getting their best thinking and having the diversity of perspectives, I'm just trying to imagine like, what are some of the things that I should be doing to make sure that she's getting her best thinking out and I'm getting my best thinking out?
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, low hanging fruit is to, give the introvert the heads up about what you are going to be talking about in the meeting 48 hours before the meeting so that they can you know, begin their preferred thought process and arrive ready to participate in the conversation. And the second thing is to adjust your expectations. So a lot of extroverts, when they look at an introvert, they expect to see the same level of sort of nodding and smiling and signals that the person's engaged in the conversation. And not all introverts show that. You know, they may be as equally engaged in the conversation, but they're not showing you the signal. So that absence of feedback is often misinterpreted by extroverts as a lack of engagement or lack of comprehension. When in fact, for introverts who make up, you know, our our best guess is 50% of the population, they're inside having a whole dialogue about it. It just doesn't show up as much on their face.
0: Oh, that's so fascinating. I feel like I'm going to look at people totally different because I am such an expressive person. I, and I'm always looking like, do people look bored? Are they, Engage, are they listening to what I'm saying? So it's a totally different lens to look through and realize that somebody could be completely engaged, but not giving you those visual signals.
1: One of my favorite stories, yeah. I mean, it's this is something we see all the time, right? So, you know, and often when we have new managers or people who are experiencing the pain of some of these uh, sort of dynamics come to a workshop, they'll basically say, you know, I didn't realize how different that dynamic was. And I've assumed that I wasn't doing a good job as a manager because I wasn't seeing the same level of engagement and feedback and that nodding and smiling that I would get from my earlier teams. But now looking through this lens, I recognize that the engagement is there. It just doesn't look the same because my the composition of my team is different.
0: What are some of the other like misconceptions or misinterpretations about people of different on different personality types?
1: Well, so I mean, one of the things that I was sort of considering in advance of our conversation was the temptation for managers to manage two people the way they would like to be managed. And, you know, ultimately, I think that's what we tend to do in communication in general. So, you know, if you sit down on a plane or, you know, at a bar or just at a party and you meet someone who's very similar to you in personality type, the conversation flows fairly naturally. And both of you have this sense of connection and it's sort of easy. And when you meet with someone or you're managing someone who uh, doesn't feel that way, it's a signal that there's probably at least two, maybe even three or four aspects of personality that are different. I suggest to people that that's what you need to be drawn towards. Even though there's not that easy rapport or simpatico feeling, you need that person because they're going to be offering things that you or perhaps other people on your team do not offer. You need to head into that. And then you need to be equipped with the the tools to actually communicate because the communication piece is not going to be what is natural for you. You need to adjust your style to get on that person's frequency.
0: So I, I love this idea of adjusting your own style to get on their frequency. It's one of the things I talk about in episode two around being a rock star manager is that you figure out how to support each of your team members in the way that they need to be supported. So what are, maybe give us some examples of, of how t- kind of people on different types can communicate differently or kind of how I as a manager could adjust my style to meet someone who has a different frame than I have.
1: Absolutely. And what's really great is that, you know, managers who are listening to your podcast are clearly earnest in improving their skills as managers. So they're already really in the game. And so ideally, some of these tips will be techniques that may not be obvious to them, but will be super easy to implement. So going past the two to 48 hour rule for introverts. So if you're an extroverted manager, you know, just prime the pump for your introverts and you'll notice that they're much more engaged in the conversation. If you're a big picture manager, so, someone who likes to set the vision and you know come up with lots of new ways of doing things. One of the big challenges is working with more grounded, practical, realistic people on your team who are not going to have as a sort of an easy or an obvious time picking up what you're trying to describe about this future vision. So, the rule for the manager who's more on the big picture is spend a lot of extra time clarifying that end goal, helping the person understand the steps and the how we're going to you know actually get there. And that is one of the most powerful investments that the big picture manager can take because you know, the team might be really excited to go after that big vision, but they're going to walk away frustrated from the conversation if they don't have sufficient clarity to go get started.
0: Oh, I'm like thinking about myself now and all the things that all the times that I'm like, OK, guys, here's what we're going to do. And I I'm so not into the weeds and the details. So I'm like, hmm, I have some things to learn.
1: Yeah, well, and it's one of those things where on a good day, you'll remember to do this sort of adjustment. You'll see the the person's not quite there yet. But when we get busy or we get stressed out, we tend to default back to our natural style. And it's even more incumbent upon us during those periods to emphasize the stretch, the flex, getting the message across in a different way. And I think for a lot of the big picture people, it really feels kind of frustrating. You're like, I mean, I hired this person to figure this out. So why do I have to work with them to spell out the steps? And my ultimate answer to that, my response is, it's going to be worth it. You know, you're know, you going to be much more likely for that person to be engaged and to hit the target and produce the result that you're looking for. And we're really talking about 10 or 15 minutes of clarification that while it may feel like a chore to you, is going to make a huge difference in the outcome.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm wondering about some other situations like, you know, whether it's giving feedback or showing appreciation or just other kind of aspects of managerial responsibilities? Are there other places where understanding your type and understanding the type of your team members can, can really make a difference?
1: Yeah, I mean, probably, you know, four, five or six hours worth. <laughs> uh, but, you know, one of the highlights that I was thinking of in advance, you know, speaking about feedback, you know, the, the reality is that there are certain people who go to work to help people they care about. That's their primary goal in working. So, you know, the promotion and the paycheck are still secondary to that sense of connection and relationship they have with the people at work. And so for them, the feedback is around. I know that you've been helpful. I, I appreciate I recognize you put a lot of effort in. And if they have that sense of connection, I call it the, the feedback loop for that particular personality type then their motivation and engagement is dramatically higher than it is without it. When there's an absence of that kind of feedback, it's kind of like the light switch on their motivation has been turned off. And my guess is that some of the managers listening into this podcast can think of people on their team where it just seems like they're wading through molasses to do their job. And you know, if you can fire up the motivation piece a little bit, it makes a big difference in their engagement and their follow through on all the activities. And it's counterintuitive for those more logic oriented managers. You know, yeah, of course he did a good job. That's why I pay him, right? That's the sort of thought process for them. But the reality is that a little bit of extra time pouring the, you know what, that was really, I'm impressed. That was frankly, you know, exceeded expectations. It's not something that a lot of those logic based managers even think about, but it goes an enormous way with the people on the other side of the equation.
0: So I'm thinking about a conversation we had, whatever it was, like two weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, about the difference between motivation, even if you have the same type. So we were talking about your wife versus my husband, who are, I think, pretty similar in their types, and yet they have different motivations. Can can you just touch on that conversation again? Because it was really enlightening for me.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, core values, you know, what's really driving us are some of the most interesting nuggets to explore in the whole personality type universe. And this is getting, for those of you who want to dig into it further, at the four temperaments. There's four broad categories that people seem to fit into that has sort of been studied throughout human history and across cultures dating back to 450 BC when Hippocrates wrote down the first four descriptions. You know, so some people go to work to be responsible, you know, that's their core goal. They want to show people at work, you can count on me. So really strongly driven by a sense of duty, service, and dependability. And that's my wife. So you know, her personality type matches up with that characterization very clearly. And they make up about 40% of the, uh, the population in our best guess. Whereas your husband, you know, for him, it's about taking action, jumping in to a messy situation, getting impressive results quickly. And so there's a really strong action orientation for him that may or may not reflect responsibility. That's just not as core a motivator for him. So, you know, if I'm a manager, I'm saying, all right, so my responsible people on the team, how do I give them more chances to be responsible, give them more things to be in control of? And when I'm giving them feedback, how can I touch on the ways in which they've been responsible that I've noticed because it really reinforces. And when you give people positive feedback on their core values, it so resonates for them. It, it is uh, a massive uh, impact on their fuel and their motivation to move forward. If I told your husband, like, you know, you've been really responsible, he's like, that's not really my priority. <laughs> my feedback to him is like, I didn't think anyone could handle that. The fact that you jumped in and took care of it before, like everyone else is forming a committee and you've already solved for it. That's really impressive. That goes right to his core, and he's going to be super motivated to do more.
0: Okay, that makes so much sense. But you said there were four different aspects, so you hit on two. Can you touch on the other two?
1: Absolutely. All right, so next up is the temperament that you and I both fall into, Amy. So for us, it's about a long-term strategic vision, making progress towards achieving that And raising the bar on our competencies. So the thing about our group is that we don't think we're good at everything. But if we've decided to be good at something, we're going to have enormous energy to get better and better at it, to constantly see if we can exceed prior uh, success. And so if I'm managing someone like that, I'm saying, how can I put them out on something that they personally are really invested in and just let them loose, right? Say, here's a goal. I don't even know if it's achievable and let them run with trying to figure out how to make that happen. And their motivation is dramatically higher when they have the autonomy to pursue that. If you put them on an assignment that really doesn't resonate with their competency, if they don't think they're good at that in the first place, you're gonna see C-plus work across the board. It's really hard for them to summon the energy to do work. So I'll pause before I do the fourth one and see if that resonates for you. That
0: is so me. And literally last night, I was making a comment to my husband about something I wanted to get better at and work on and he was like you have too many hobbies already you you can't take on another one please just stop. So that's that is exactly me.
1: Yeah, and it and it falls inside and outside work. So, you know, the the hobbyist in you is, you know, in pursuit of understanding something from the inside out, you know, at a comprehensive level, at a PhD level. And so there's an enormous amount of energy that is brought to bear in service of that pursuit. So the fourth one, they're driven to help others achieve their fullest potential. So for them, the most satisfying work is work that, you know, it's not handing someone a band-aid to fix a, a problem right now. It's reshaping someone's direction in life. And so, you know, I think that's really powerful work for anyone to do. But for this particular category, we call them the idealists. It is so, so satisfying and dramatically more motivating than any other activity if they are doing work that doesn't have that sense of helping others achieve their potential longer term, the motivation just drops off a cliff. And ultimately, when we look at people's core values and we look at their motivation and we look at career transition, often people are leaving organizations because they've been in a drought of satisfying their core values for too long to sustain it.
0: Wow. So if I have a bunch of people on my team who all have different personality types and different preferences and different motivational frameworks and core values. I'm imagining my head swimming, trying to figure out how do I make sense of all of this and work with all of these different kinds of people. Any thoughts?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's an art and it's something that, you know, really successful managers master over the course of their career. But I think one of the cool ways to think about it is just imagining that there's a really quick pause right before you choose how you're going to deal with a particular situation or a particular person on your team. And in that pause, you're asking yourself, what's the best approach for me to take in light of the person I'm likely dealing with? And that pause is a million dollar pause because each time you reflect and stop yourself from doing what is your default approach, you know, the way that you would like to be managed in that situation, you increase the likelihood of getting the key that's actually going to open that person's door correctly <laughs> as opposed to stomping on their core values or at a minimum, you know, hitting the mark pretty far off to the side. And I think that that pause is really powerful. And you can even get into the conversation with people that you've been working with for a while and be like, so what is it that is most motivating for you? Or what is the best way for me to give you feedback in situations? So, you know, that conversation is really powerful, but it's stopping yourself from just going with what you would naturally do in that situation.
0: I find myself doing that a lot, especially around showing empathy, because I am a for anyone who's listening who knows this stuff, I'm an ENTJ. And so the T, the thinker in me who's not like a super emotional person, when people are like really frustrated or having a hard time with something, my inclination is to be like, get over it. Come on, people. Like your emotions are getting in your way. Just get the job done. Suck it up. Like figure it out. And I know that that's not the way to respond to a lot of people who need to feel that comfort first, that oh yeah, this is really tough. I'm sorry that it's been such a challenge. I'm sorry that that person you're working with is making this hard for you. Let's figure out how to how to get through that together. And it's so unnatural for me, but it has made such a difference in getting the other person actually through their emotions faster by acknowledging the emotion that they're feeling and, and saying, hey, that's okay to feel that way. Like this situation does suck, but let's let's go on. Rather than my old way of doing it, just being like, I don't know why you're complaining. This is that people are like that. You know, this is just it's a tough situation. Come on. It's amazing how that little pause and recognizing the difference in approach can can actually make a huge difference.
1: Well, and, and you raise another really important point, and I'm, I'm glad you, that you did, because I'm guessing that some of your listeners are right now saying, well, what we're talking about feels really inauthentic. or. I've tried that before, and it's just so uncomfortable. I can't. I can't justify doing it. Uh, And so my answer to that, because people will often say, you know, you're asking me to do something that's so different than my natural style. I just don't. I'm not sure I can summon it. And the answer is, it's okay to feel uncomfortable and awkward. You're learning a new skill, and you can actually sort of articulate it almost like you're learning a whole new language. And the analogy that I use, you know, if you're going to go to, let's say, Germany for the first time, it's a very polite thing to learn a few German expressions. You know, you're not going to learn the whole language, but if you can just pick up some you know, some key expressions, what you're showing that to the other person is that you're making the attempt to connect with them on their language. And even though it feels uncomfortable and awkward the first time you go into a store and try to order something in German, it's the exact same thing here. After some practice and after some time, it will become more natural and you'll get a little bit more closer to fluent. And the same thing is true when you're talking about, in your case, right, you know, being a little bit more sympathetic before you get to the solution stage. Your brain orients towards solution, which is that's its natural state. That's not a bad thing or a good thing. But that situation requires more sympathy up front before you get there.
0: Yes, exactly. And I'm thinking even with the German example that, you know, I, I kind of always feel like, oh, if I'm not going to do it well, I'm probably just like butchering their language. But the recipient might feel completely appreciated and feel really positive. And I've actually seen this when I've spoken another language with people, that they're so excited that you're trying. They're so excited that you're making an effort, even if your pronunciation is terrible, right? even if you're talking in a way to your colleague, they don't see how awkward it is for you most of the time. They only feel the result of what it is you're doing. So even if it feels awkward for you, they might not even pick up on that awkwardness. They're just picking up on the fact that you're approaching them in a way that's working. So I want to pull up a second to kind of bigger picture stuff because we were talking at some points about how personality affects how you be creative as a team or how you act, how do you kind of develop strategies or be innovative? So can you touch on those pieces?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Innovation is a hot button for most of our clients. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at the word through the language of personality type, because it means different things to different people. So going back to that big picture versus grounded, practical, realistic dimension, you know, big picture people like to do what we call light bulb innovation which is to come up a, with a brand new way of doing things that no one's ever thought of. And it really doesn't necessarily have to link with an existing approach or system. It can be completely unconventional. That's what we call light bulb innovation. And it's very valuable within an organization. The other form is what we call process innovation. And it's to take an existing system and make it better by making tweaks and adjustments to it. Where the challenge comes is when you've got both types of people in the room trying to quote unquote innovate. And they've defined it very differently. So. The results are going to look very different. You have some people coming up with light bulbs, right? And it's kind of crazy because it doesn't match with what we're currently doing. And the process people are sitting there going, be like, "Ah, there's at least nine reasons why that would never work. And vice versa, when someone's coming up with an incremental suggestion, it doesn't feel dramatic enough to the light bulb people. And so they can dismiss it or not value it sufficiently. Teams that are able to integrate those two perspectives are more likely to achieve an overall form of innovation that will be more valuable.
0: We talk about this when we talk about brainstorming meetings with our clients, that you have to really clarify the criteria and the norms and those ground rules to accommodate both types of ideas. And if you want more of one than more of the other, it means that some people are going to have to stretch themselves and you know, and think more grounded and more incremental or think bigger picture in life, which again, for some people will be really comfortable and for some people won't. But when you don't set the criteria of what you want, then you end up with that tension, right? There's, there has to be a way to clarify and you know, ensure that everybody's on the same page with what kinds of ideas are welcome on this table. And if it's all ideas, then be clear that it's all ideas.
1: Absolutely right. I mean, the, the big thing to watch out for is you can't do both simultaneously. So set aside specific time in your meeting for the light bulb piece. And guess what? Everyone can do that. That's just a kind of thinking that anyone can enjoy for a set period of time. And then transition over to a separate period of time devoted to process innovation, which is, you know, trying to link up some of those crazy ideas with actual realities, right? And again, the big picture light bulb people can do that process innovation. You just have to sort of confine the conversation a little bit into those two separate time buckets so that they know when they're supposed to do one and not the other.
0: Well, and I want to pick up on what you just said about everybody can do everything. And and we didn't really get into this clearly at the beginning, but I think it's really important to emphasize that personality type is it's a spectrum so you can be kind of high or low and maybe you can talk a bit more about like what does it mean like that we all can do these things we have preferences do we change over time can you talk about some of those pieces
1: absolutely so I mean the key distinction is capacity versus preference so we all have the capacity to do everything certainly that I've outlined here today and none of the stuff that we're describing in terms of personalities are sort of exclusive like I can't spend time alone because I'm an extrovert and that's not how it works What we find is it's just really about what activities are naturally energizing. And from a communication perspective, the style that we tend to take with people is the one that we would like to receive. So we tend to transmit on the same frequency we'd like to receive information on. And that's not going to work for people who are quite different from you. But yeah, I mean, you can put any person into any job and they can excel at it. Question is, at the end of the day, are they energized or drained by the activity? And the other piece is, you know, life is not simple. So there's no job where it's just one of these kinds of functions. You know, every job has a mix of different activities. And so during the course of the day, you might be in detail mode, you might be in big picture mode, you might be in logic mode, you might be in empathy mode. You know, there's just going to be lots of variety during the course of, you know, even a few hour period at work. But certain of those things are naturally easy for you to do and others are, you know, that learned skill.
0: Thank you. All right. Last couple of questions. First, can you tell us about one of your favorite managers since this is called the modern manager?
1: absolutely so the the managers that i've been most sort of successful with are the ones that give me the freedom and autonomy to craft the outcome so the way that i operate and i think it's true to my personality type is i want to help set the vision i want to have some shape in determining the process for getting there and ultimately that's how i feel like i'm adding value to the operation to the enterprise to the project to the extent that i don't have those things i'm basically like I, why am i even here and so the managers that are most successful are the ones who have given me 10 out of 10 autonomy, um, you know, set really lofty goals and said, you know, I don't know if you're going to get there and put me into work that's on, in alignment with my competency. So things that I've already designated that I want to be good at. And this just gives me an opportunity to see how far I can press that.
0: Awesome. For everyone who's listening, if you want my guides that will help you do some of those things. You can definitely join on Patreon because there is a guide to creating enjoyment in your team. And one of those factors is really getting to understand what your motivations are for your employees, those kinds of things. So you should check out the guide. Sorry for the side note. All right, back to Rob. So last question, where can people find out more about you, more about Type Coach, all that kind of good stuff?
1: Absolutely. So I would, first of all, direct everyone to our website, TypeCoach.com, all one word, T-Y-P-E-C-O-A-C-H com. And I think we were talking about it before, Mamie. I'd love for people who support you on Patreon to get free access to our whole suite of tools. So all four, including our communication system that's based on these personality type dis- differences we're describing.
0: Thank you, Rob. Yeah. So everyone on Patreon, if you're at the five dollar level or above, you will get access to the Type Coach tools, which, as I mentioned before, are amazing. I use them with my clients. We have a, a, an entire program that incorporates them called the Personal Instruction Manual which if you're interested in doing that with your team, you should definitely reach out to me. It uses the TypeCoach tools and they are fantastic. So thank you so much, Rob. This was, as always, enlightening and fun. And I learned more new things. And so I'm excited to put those into use and to bring this to my clients. It's just been great.
1: Well, I'm very grateful for you, including me in the process, Mamie. I love the podcast and I hope everyone got something valuable out of it.
0: Absolutely. You can see why I am so taken with Rob and his work. Such incredible and fun and interesting stuff. If you want to learn more about your type, join the Modern Manager community on Patreon at patreoncom modern manager and take advantage of the free access to the type coach tool. You'll start with the verifier, which is actually a fun way to figure out your type. And even if you already know it, we do evolve over time, so it's worth doing it again. Plus, there are other tools and coaching videos that you'll have access to within TypeCoach, and it's all worth checking out. I also mentioned a program I do with teams called Personal Instruction Manual. If you're interested in learning more about that program, go to meteor.com transform. That's meeteo dot transform. Again, all of these links are in the show notes, and they're in your email if you subscribe to my newsletter. So if you haven't done that yet, you can do so at MamieKS.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R dot com.
1: You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.